Hey, podcast listeners, this is our 100th original episode, and we, in all of our busyness and quickness to record, did not realize this until after we recorded it. So I don't know, Lisa, did we get our numbers crossed up? Did we skip a few, add a few? What happened? Well, we have been doing this also for nearly two years, which is itself a landmark, right? So 100 episodes, two years. I think it was because there are a number of rebroadcast episodes in there that messed up our numbering scheme. <laughs> so we we got um, behind or ahead of ourselves. Um, but we are super psyched to be at 100. We have discussed a lot of things, and we are really grateful that all of you have been hanging with us for 100-plus discussions about DEI in endurance sports. And Lisa, I don't know if we were really smart or really naive to launch a brand new podcast in September 2020 of a pandemic, a global pandemic. So maybe we just took advantage of the fact that we had lots of um, captive audience to listen to us. Right. But it seemed to work out because I know very few uh, podcasts, except for maybe a couple that I listen to faithfully that have hit the 100th. Mark. So thank you all for continuing to hang with us, listen to us. Uh, The best thing you could possibly do for us uh, would be to definitely like, subscribe, share with folks, share as professional development in your workplace, and continue to follow us as we try to hit, what, 200, Lisa? I I think we're on our way. Lisa, I am known to go down the rabbit hole when it comes to trash TV and all the things, Food Network, anything that's related to these uh, master chef cooking shows. I mean, I've just become kind of a glutton when it comes to these. And so, of course, I watch a good bit of Gordon Ramsay. And I was watching one of his much older shows, I mean, many, many years ago. And it's interesting that he was bringing up um, a number of things. He was bringing up um, cooking fish for a pescatarian in a pan that was created for beef. That's the first problem. And the chef who was offended that he brought it to his attention and how dare you critique what I do when I'm doing it, how I'm doing it, because I've been a chef, so-called professional chef for 30 years. And At some point, because Gordon Ramsay's face is his face. I mean, he's like incredulous most of the time. And at a certain point, Gordon Ramsay's face was left less about the food, which was already problematic, but more so about how offended that chef got by being provided with information that was contrary to what he knew and understood. Uh, Okay. Okay. And and so, and I'm like, oh, this is very interesting. Is this person just completely anti-change or what's going on here? And it had me to start thinking about being offended and what it means to be offended. Is it a choice? Is it not? And what do we do with being offended when it comes to social justice issues? And I don't have any good answers. That's why I thought I'd bring it here. We mm-hmm. usually bring things that we don't have answers for here to the podcast. So here we are. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I mean, Gordon Ramsay, you know, one might actually be offended by him because he's kind of a, certainly, I I mean, as a British person, I am not super excited that he is repping the island. Um, But uh, that's an, that he pointed that out, right? 
that why are you offended um, when you're being, when you're here to learn and I'm giving information that would help you learn. And then you're now, you know, is it like feigned offense or this mock offending? Mm. Like, how are you right? So, what does that mm-hmm. look like in a social justice context? Because definitely I have been told I get offended too easily about things and I'm oversensitive, right? And I'm sure you have too. Oh, oh yes. Oh, yeah. so let, yeah, this is getting good. All right. Well, let, let's, let's cue the music and dive in, Lisa. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last. Create a little club, do something, just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it. Be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things. Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support each other, but we have to decide that we're going to choose solidarity and act on it. The Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit. Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact. Age is just a number, but your health is a science. People age at different speeds, some faster, some slower. That means the date that marks your birthday may not represent your body's actual biological age. That's why Inside Tracker developed InnerAge 2.0. This proprietary AI-driven platform reveals how your body is aging and provides a personalized, science-backed action plan to help you get younger from the inside out. We believe that your best self isn't behind you, it's within you. And by looking at the science of your health and longevity, you can discover the personalized path to living healthier and longer. So, if you want to continue doing the activities you love, with the people you love, for the rest of your life, it's time to turn back the clock with InnerAge 2.0. For a limited time, Feisty listeners can take 20% off your entire Inside Tracker order, including InnerAge 2.0. Just visit InsideTracker.com forward slash feisty. So Lisa, you're bringing up a great point around 
those that feel it's important to articulate to people like you and I, who are passionate about social justice and identity work and inclusion, that we are offended or we are overly sensitive or we're nitpicky or we're we're doing too much or it, whatever the phrase is to describe how we may be from from their standpoint overly meticulous about what's okay and what's not okay and part of me gets really interested in that perspective because on one hand i have witnessed and seen defensiveness and the people who are defended truly sincerely believe they're not defensive and I don't want to be that person. (laughs) And so I've tried to find that fine line here, but it's a great question around this offense, this offended piece. And what's the line, what's the usefulness of being offended? Should it be a characteristic that we take Mm -hmm. on, that we employ? Mm -hmm. Is it even useful in equity, social justice, inclusion? I don't have any good answers, but I think being unoffended or unoffendable, I'm not even sure that's possible. I, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that's possible. And I think we could go down our linguistic rabbit hole about what does being offended even mean, right? What, like, Because I think of offender like you've done something wrong. Um, and so then there's, I'm offended, Shauna, that you're educating me about this particular issue around race or gender or economic status, for example, because why do you think I don't know that, right? So it's my pride perhaps, that has been hurt. Mm. So actually I feel hurt, right? But I present Mm -hmm. as being that's offensive that you would even think that I would think that, right? But then there's Mm. also kind of this other piece around someone says or does something really problematic in terms of racism, sexism, ableism, and it offends you and you articulate like, that's offensive. Don't do that. And here's why. Um, so I feel like it gets deployed in different ways. One in one way, maybe to further a conversation or open a conversation. And in another way, maybe to foreclose on a conversation as in, as a, as a, a veil to my feelings of hurt, right? Like I, my pride has been hurt because you've made an assumption about me, or I think you've made an assumption about me. Um, and so that, mm-hmm. that offends me, right? Like I feel mm-hmm. like I can kind of see, I can see that in both cases and how, um, I think it's dangerous, right? And then when Mm. someone, in the second example where I'm saying that's offensive that you use that term, right? You need to be more Mm -hmm. considerate and thoughtful and understand the history of that term, for example. Um, Is, you know, is it, is offensive even the right word, right? Is it that what you said was hurtful, it was Mm. dangerous, Mm -hmm. it was in correct right like right 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 exactly and you know and so that's where i get really i I get really tangled up in the language because as much as i know that it's not specifically defined this way when i think of offended i think of offended as beyond just bothered by it meaning offended to the point where i need to create some distance between you and i whether it's completely cutting that person off or creating some type of uh, 
short-term distance, long-term distance. I need to do something to remove myself from the situation of you and your uh, either language, behavior, thought pattern. I'm now offended to the point that I need to create some type of distance, right? Versus annoyed is just, um, in my opinion, it's, yeah, it's bothersome. I don't like it, but it's not rising to the level of I'm about to cut you off. (laughs) So it just seems to be there's different gradients of it. And my challenge with the whole thing is, is being offended a choice? And I I have not read the book, but I have a friend of mine who's taught quite extensively out of the book by Brant Hansen called Unoffendable. And it really talks about, or at least the, the brief versions and even the TED Talk that I listened to talked about being unoffendable being a choice and part of me is like "Mm, I don't know about that because many I I would think that being offended is a feeling that's not something that you can switch on and off you can work to manage it or moderate it but I'm not sure that you can just choose to flip that switch off Um, It kind of reminds me of anybody like myself who has really challenging swim anxiety, for example. No, I don't think you ever get over swim anxiety. You manage it, but you never get over it. Um, And, you know, people that I've known that have, you know, swam for years, swam since they were a child, and they've had an, an anxiety attack after many years for whatever reason, that's something that they manage. They could not control whether they took on an anxiety attack or not, because trust me, those who manage or deal with anxiety, if it was a choice, they would choose not to be to experience it. So given that it's like, "Mm, is it really a choice? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, we have a quote from that book, right? And and they say Mm -hmm. that choosing to be unoffended or relinquishing the right to anger does not mean accepting injustice. And that's interesting because by mm. by saying unoffended or relinquishing the right to anger is putting those two things together. They're not necessarily the same, but when I think about being offended or someone who is offensive, for me, kind mm-hmm. of the predominant emotion that gets pulled out there is anger, right? Um Yes. Yes. Uh, and it's it's a varying degree of anger. Like it's not full on rage necessarily, but it's it's an it's an anger that I think if isn't if it isn't used correctly, could lead to where you're saying um, that you just like shut that person down and you cut yourself off from them, right? Rather than kind of noting the feeling that you're having. So I agree with you. I don't think being offended is the is a choice, and maybe it isn't. Maybe offended is not the right word, right? Maybe we have kind of curated this um, word offensive, offended, and we use it in ways that aren't actually accurate, right? Maybe it's more hurt and anger. um, And that's not, I don't think that's a choice. I think you might be able to control the degree to which you feel those things, but I don't think you can Mm. just switch those off. And then it's, isn't it more choice that what you decide to do with it, to do with the feelings? Uh, you, you, you went right where I was going because what I was then thinking was 
yes, what do we do with it? How do we respond? It's kind of that saying of, I can't control what happens to me, but I can control how I respond to it. And so, and that, that gets me back to my, you know, analogy of that swim anxiety of, no, I can't control that wave that's about to splash over my head right now, but I can control my response to it or my reaction to it. And so, you know, given that, I I do think you're right. It's the, uh, I don't think being offended or being even enraged is a problem until it plays out, right? So how does it play out in the world? How does it play out when interacting with other people? Um, And so now, of course, the prolific James Baldwin specifically talks about being enraged, you know, and, and so I would never speak against the prolific James Baldwin, but, you know, he said it very specifically, especially from a Black perspective, quote, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. So in other words, in, in Shauna's slang, if you are Black and alive and breathing, you mad all the time. And, and, and I think that is okay, pending what you do with it. So if I'm angry and I'm tearing up my neighborhood or I'm frustrated or I, I'm to the point where I literally cannot function, that rage is not helpful. But if my rage is around either whether it's organizing or having my voice heard or, you know, even if it's the a, a protest of some sort, then to me, that is rage bottled in a quite different way. That's more of a balm to the issue rather than um gas on a fire that's going to be truly um destructive right because rage can go in a lot of different directions yeah i I would imagine you know yeah Yeah. and so what do we do with it i mean i would i would clarify baldwin's quote in that it's not just to be clear right he is not saying that um Black people are just angry people, right? He is saying that because of systemic racism and exactly. injustice and violence, that leads to mm-hmm. any Black person being angry and rageful, right? Because they have every right mm-hmm. to be. So just in case that wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do agree that this is so interesting because I'm kind of thinking as I'm speaking here, so it's not coming out well, but this... Uh-huh. Offendedness and anger and rage are not the same thing, but I think being offended can also mean that you are angry. And I Mm. think in both cases, when we're talking about injustice and social justice, the powers that be, so white people, Mm. men, able-bodied people, use those emotions and labels as a tool to dismiss the concerns that the person has. Yes, 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 yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and so, so here we go with the tone policing right. of individuals right. that your tone is offensive, yet not giving credence and credit and value to the message that's being communicated. Right. And that's where we get ourselves into trouble. I mean, so I, I pulled it up, Lisa, while we were thinking about it, because, you know, the when I started thinking about Dr. King's quote around um, riots are the voice of the unheard, let's, let's also not take that one out of context either, right? Because we all know anyone who has read two lines of anything that Dr. King has ever said 
uh, knows that he is a man of nonviolent means or was a man of nonviolent means. That is his first option and his first choice or was. Um, and so, you know, he he says it, quote, I would be the first to say that I'm still committed to militant, powerful, massive nonviolence as the most potent weapon to grappling with the problem of exclusion, racism, et cetera, from a direct action point of view. And then he also goes on to say, I'm absolutely convinced that a riot merely intensifies the fears of white communities while reliving guilt, which is not useful for them either, right? So then he goes on to say that, no, I'm not going to stand before you and condemn riots. It would be morally irresponsible for me to do that without at the same time condemning the contingent and intolerable conditions that exist in society, which then cause individuals to feel that they have no other alternative than to engage in violent rebellions to get attention. That is the voice of the unheard, right? So, right. you know, right. when it comes to the rage, you know, again, I, I would suggest that, you know, once we get to Baldwin's quote, rage wasn't the first option necessarily, or wasn't the initial or only option. It is, look, damn it, we've been telling you that all these things are problems. It's clear that you're not processing this or at least not prioritizing this enough to a point that you're willing to do something about it. So now we have to make our actions louder in the form of riots, protests, mm-hmm. fill in the blank. So yeah, I think it's like a crescendo, you know, that it, it gets to that point. Um, And you're consistently at the loudest end of the crescendo when you are constantly in a place where people are not open to hearing your message. And that's a shame. It's a shame. Okay. Like, so listening to that quote and listening to you talk, I am now leaning towards the term offended or taking offense as actually a whitewashing term, a term that is used to nullify or um, minimize those feelings and experiences you just previously described, right? The, mm-hmm. um, so like I am angry and r- rageful, but not in a burning something down rageful way, right? That women right. and trans people are consistently exposed to sexual violence and nothing is done about it, right? But then right. like a guy being saying, um, you know, oh, that offends me, or, you know, you're, um, that's offensive that you would, you would think that I would do something like that. It just, Mm -hmm. it feels like it takes the wind out of the Mm -hmm. expression of these perhaps more kind of underlying and more specific feelings Mm. about injustice, right? So like, don't you think like offend offensive or that offends me or that's, it feels a bit vanilla. Like it feels a bit in comparison to the strength of anger and rage and hurt. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Like, what do you think about that? Oh, and okay. So to, to take your point to multiple perspectives here. So offended could literally become a both a whitewashing and a diversion from multiple perspectives. So let's say you're the white male that got called out for doing X, Y, Z. And then you say, I'm offended that you would even think that my intentions were da, 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 da. 
all right, fine. That that feeds into fragility and lots of other things that Robin D'Angelo has exhausted. I'm I'm I hear that part. And then let's talk about the offended or those who are indeed um justified in being offended. So yeah, I'm offended that um there is still discrimination when it comes to real estate. I'm offended when XYZ. I'm offended that you thought I was the administrative assistant when I'm actually the CEO. I'm offended by certain things. Even using offended in from those perspectives that are lived experiences of disenfranchised folks, do we kind of lay down on being offended, which then seems to short-term absolve us from the so what? Okay, you're offended. So what you gonna do about it? You gonna sit there and be offended all day, or you gonna do mm. something with it? Right, right. Because I could go down the laundry list of things I'm offended by on the average day, but I have a much shorter list of things that I do things about because I've been either called to action or spurred to action because I'm so upset and angry about. Right. So let me give you an example, Lisa. This was when the Uvalde shooting happened. Um, Yes, there was rage for me as a parent. It was rage for me, especially um, having two young sons in a less diverse area. It's still diverse comparatively to the country, but less diverse than what I'm used to. And so I was not just enraged and offended that someone would wage violence against little kids. I was enraged enough to take action by sitting on this committee or, you know, writing my congressperson or there was a a list of things that I did because my rage funneled into action. If I just sat there being offended, then you have a right to your feelings. But what is that going to do when it comes to social justice? So, you know, the offended of the righteous indignation that, oh, my God, white boy, you got called out for using this language. That's one group of people, but then you have the other group of people that rightfully feel that way, but still can't get over the hump of being offended. And there's much beyond that offense. It just feels like such a polite word, right? Like, you know, that's, I mean, that's why I'm saying like, what's underneath the offensive, the, the being offended, right? Is it hurt? Yes. Is it anger? Is it rage? Is it frustration? Right? Like I'm going to just, you know, say offended is this catch-all and yeah, it's that righteous, righteous indignation piece. But then in the other example about like not doing anything about it, that's the politeness, right? That's like, oh, I'm, I'm offended by that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Right. Like, it's you can be angry, right? And then ang- anger can be funneled into a really productive way. I don't know that offendedness, mm-hmm. the word, can be funneled in the same way, right? Because it just feels too polite. Oh, but see, you know what? See, this is why you uh, listeners. Th- this is the exact reason why Lisa and I have ongoing communication via email, via text, via LinkedIn, via Slack, via pigeon in the sky, a, a, a flag with behind a plane. We are always, because we think in these ways so often that it always pops up. The, the reason why I got excited when you mentioned that was because I just recently read an article. Uh, I'm looking for the name of it now, but in essence, it was an article about um Black people specifically being too forgiving. 
And the article really called out people not being offended enough and being so quick to forgive that they didn't do much else as far as accountability or action. That's why I got excited when you were making your statement, because it's like, okay, this is interesting because once again, either direction can be problematic. You know, you're Uh, let's say you're offended often, so often that you don't do anything about your offense, or you're not offended enough to do anything about it. Which one are you going to be today? Right. And yeah, I, I I don't want to sit with that group that's not offended enough, but I also don't want to sit with that group that's so, they're more focused on the being offended than the actual root of the problem. Yeah. That's what I'm getting at. And I think that that is so prevalent um, in social justice circles or in people in groups who are really wanting to enact mm. some social change is that you swing so far in one direction um, that you can't yes. get past the fact that something is offensive. And so then your choices are do nothing or exclude that person, group or thing. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Like you're, you're like you, you, you wallow, maybe wallow isn't the right word, but you get stuck in your offenders, yes. much like white people get stuck in white guilt. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. Yes. And so then absolutely. it forecloses on any dialogue or movement. Um, and again, also, you know, kind of, you know, shaves down the edges, smooths down the edges of what is really mm-hmm. what it what it really is, which is anger, um, mm-hmm. frustration, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Absolutely. So that's, Absolutely. that's fascinating, not being offended enough, which I feel like, like to you, I think you said this earlier in the podcast about gradients, right? So I'm thinking about the scale yes. of yes. being offended. Like, is it a scale or is offended on a larger scale that includes hurt, anger, rage, um, annoyance, right? I don't know. Annoyance feels maybe like it's slightly different, but, you Mm -hmm. know, because I don't like, can you be a little offended and, and very offended, you know? Or, or are you just offended? Cause it's just like, it's just one thing that you are and it's not a degree of offense. It either is or is not offended. Right. See, this is where, this is where I'm like, I'm not the, I'm the all or nothing girl, Lisa, where it's like, if I'm offended, then I'm cutting your ass off. And the reason why is because I'm defending myself in certain ways, as far as defending myself from pain, harm, hurt. Um, And I'm also making a conscious choice because I always feel like I have a choice. I have a choice whether or not to engage with that person. And I'm making the choice not to. And so I'm taking the decision-making power into my own hands there um, in order to protect myself um, in certain Mm -hmm. ways. And so, you know, yes, I'm, (laughs) I think I am an all or nothing person when it comes to being offended but I think you just came up with another theoretical model we need to think about as far as they're probably gradients that Shauna is just too petty to uh, to embrace because I just want it to be all or nothing. If if someone continues to punch me in the face after the first punch, who is at fault? 
the person standing there allowing themselves to be punched, I think there has to be some mutual accountability going on. If I sit there and allow you to punch me in the face, yeah, you wrong, but I'm also wrong for standing there. I'm cutting kind of mess off. And and but I realize mm-hmm. that I'm not the only perspective, and therefore I think there is yeah. major credence to a gradient that I just happen to be on one extreme end of. <laughs> when it comes to that, I mean, I don't know though. Like you know, so someone <laughs> says something stupid, and it's offensive. It's not like a little offensive, right? It's like it's offensive or it's not offensive. The whether it's offensive mm-hmm. is likely dependent on your point of view, right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. true. It, it is or it isn't. So what you choose to do with the taking of offense, whether mm-hmm. you choose to just stand there or whether you choose to funnel that, I think is an important yes. question. And I also think an important question is if you're using the term offense, being offended, um, you need to go mm. under. You need to actually go underneath it. I think, right? Yes. And, and yes, say like, yes. what is what is the root here? Because mm. how am I using this term potentially to kind of paper over the fullness um, of the emotion that I am experiencing? Which goes back to your point that I don't think you can choose to be unoffended because I think below uh, being offended is a really strong feeling that we mask with the word offended. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, and so I think, you know, going back to the original term, I think we would be better served by saying being un- unoffended or even the attempt to be unoffended is a, a management tool, not an actual hard and fast outcome. It is how do I manage my offense in ways that are useful rather than just sitting in the stuckness that you talked about before. So it's it's a approach to the offense rather than an actual goal to be unoffended. I don't think that's a choice. Yeah. And then I think by saying um, when you hear critiques that you offend too easily or you're too sensitive Mm. or you're overreacting, that's that's using it in a way um, to disavow or dismiss or deny the hurt, the mm-hmm. anger, the rage, right? Like That's right. Um, That's right. Mm-hmm. And, and that I think has the capacity to shut down, shut you down, right? Because then you're like, well, maybe I am overreacting. Maybe I am, you know, unnecessarily being offended when I shouldn't be, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's mm-hmm. gaslight. It's gaslighting, basically. It's that's gaslighting. Right. I yep. think that that happens a lot, particularly with the word offended. I think offended and offensive are tools of gaslighting, maybe more so than angry or hurt. Oh, tools of gaslighting. Okay. I think that's a quotable. I'm going to stop right there. That's a quotable for sure. For sure. Absolutely. So I'm look that, that's my hell yeah right there, y'all. Yes. Hell yeah. Hell no. To offend, offended is a tool of gaslighting. Okay, y'all quote that. Tweet that out. Whatever you do. That <laughs> Yes. I'm in 100% agreement. Absolutely. So, Lisa, since we're, we're talking about being offended, there's almost nothing... In the United States that one could possibly be more offended by in today's day and age when it comes to language is a particular slur that we all know. Mm -hmm. The N-word. So 
Lisa, when I saw that the one and only African-American female uh, volleyball player on Duke University's team, yeah, someone yelled a slur at her, and we know which one it was, yelled a slur at her every single time she, she served, every time, every single time. This happened to be at a, uh, a game against BYU, Brigham Young University, and the person that kept yelling it was someone who was in the BYU student section. Yes, that person was removed. I can't wait to get more updates on the story, but I'm offended. And based on BYU's statement of removing that student from the game, they were, going back to my, my point, offended enough to immediately remove that person so that everyone under the sound of that person's voice was no longer harmed, right? So kudos to the BYU folks that got rid of that person from the actual game in the moment. Uh, But I'm anxious to see and hear more around how that was managed um, Mm -hmm. and what happened as a result of that. Did the rest of the volleyball team rally around their teammate? I would love to hear a bit more, but yeah, that, that's a huge hell no against the person that said it, a huge hell yeah to the BYU administrator that removed that person immediately. And we just not going to tolerate it, Lisa. That, that's it. We're not going to tolerate it. Yeah. And, you know, thinking about being offended, like as a white person hearing that, if I were to say that is offensive to me, doesn't feel strong enough, right? It doesn't feel, well, that feels offensive to me, or that is offensive to me, feels stronger than saying I am offended by that, which is, Mm, mm -hmm. I'm not really sure why, but it does just in the moment. But then as a white person in particular, knowing that it was a white person that said this, again, like, oh, that's offensive, just feels really flaky and vanilla, right? Like I, as an ally, need to be really effing angry that that shit is still effing happening in 2022 right right? and if that is not a clear example of white supremacy being alive and well then again what kind of example do you need right because that Mm -hmm. that person in the in the um audience is not the only single human (laughs) white person that says that shit so yeah so it just feels like it doesn't quite get me there to just say i'm offended by that doesn't feel full enough um exactly uh, exactly And even thinking about the people that were harmed under the sound of that person's voice, like I'm imagining parents, especially parents of folks like me who have really tried hard to guard their children from even knowing what that word means, because it's irrelevant to our vocabulary in their home, um, in our home. And now those parents have to go home and explain the deep-rooted history of what that word has meant historically. Like even that, I'm like, I am mortified um, for those parents um, and offended for me and my people. How about that? So both at the same time. Both, both at the same, same time. time. Yeah. So, um, and yeah. mortified, that's a great word, right? Like that, I think, conveys yeah. the the depth of it. Um, yeah. Yep. Okay. So um, our hell yeah this week is uh, a shout out to Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr., who obviously Shauna and I are totally best buds with. That's why we can give him a shout out on this podcast. That he's totally listening. <laughs> right, to right. Um, I'm going to tag him. I'm going to yeah. tag him when I post. Yes. He was named the editor in chief of the Oxford Dictionary of African American English. And so that is a really important um, document book. Um, 
because again, thinking about white supremacy and how white supremacist notions of language and um, history and culture have and continue to devalue African-American English and kind of assign uh, derogatory terms such as lazy or inappropriate to it, right? And so for those of you who don't know, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. Um, has done a significant amount of work in uncovering um, ancestry of African-American people in the United States so that they are able to, they have been able to and continue to trace back um, long forgotten and um, rendered invisible um, and documents that have been destroyed so that folks can know um, generations back, right, Shauna? And yeah. I think that you have also um, had some success in uh, mm -hmm. on the heels of his work um, with your family. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Being able to trace um, further back um, all the way to the point of being able to trace your descendant that actually um, made it um, when it comes to the transatlantic slave trade uh, to the U.S. mainland or at least um, prior to colonization and so forth. So, you know, given that being able to connect to a specific family member, my family member, my family member's name is Daisy. Well, I would not have been able to even know who she was um, and who existed without the research of Henry Louis Gates that took us back before um, anything that was probably captured in census data 1960s or earlier. Um, and so given that being able to document that because remember, if we were, um, if Africans were on a slave ship, they were considered as uh, inventory, if you will, property and inventory. So it would literally be like going to your store and counting five bottles of shampoo, you know, five black females and two black children, for example. And so given that being able to even put a name and um, a home country on the continent of Africa would not be possible without Henry Louis Gates. So um, we're grateful that he is now doing something new and different. And the fact that he's able to oversee this kind of uh, project under the umbrella of the Oxford Dictionary further, Lisa, validates that African-American communication is indeed valuable all by itself. Right. Not to be compared to the quote unquote Queen's English, not to be compared to U.S. English, but it is valuable in right. of itself. And so, you know, just the, the validation of him being appointed to this project um, is incredible. I'm almost speechless because of that. So it's, it's major validation for African-American communities. Do you want to get more out of your rides this summer? Any old device can track distance, time, and pace. But how about the ability to see the upcoming hills or points of interest along your route? The Hammerhead Caro 2 helps you find your path forward and unlock your full potential on every ride. The Hammerhead Caro 2 is the most advanced GPS cycling computer available today with industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities that set it apart from other GPS options. Free global maps with points of interest included, like cafes or campsites, mean you can explore with confidence and on-the-go flexibility. So one of the really neat things about the Hammerhead is that it sends bi-weekly software updates, and I've definitely noticed those in my emails. And so they have these new feature releases, and those are unmatched by the competition. So unlike other head units, your Karu 2 continues to evolve and improve with each ride better than the last. 
So this is an exclusive limited time offer only for our podcast listeners. So don't forget to use promo code UNFAZED. That's a free heart rate monitor with the purchase of a Karu 2. Go to hammerhead.io, add both items to your cart and use promo code UNFAZED today. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at umphasepodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. <laughs>